not going down just because of something some stupid adults are doing. Mobile suits. Monday, Monday. Camille's a man's name, and I'm a man! Uh, no carrots, please. Mobile suit? Roger that. Mobile suit. Mobile suit. Change. Although all enemies were defeated, Earth did not change one bit! The commander! <laughs> He's lost it! <laughs> every other day, every other day, every other day of the week is fine! You're a soldier here, aren't you? If you want to be more than just a grunt, you better learn to see the whole picture. Uh, yes, yes, sir. I'm the enemy, you idiot! Miss Matilda! Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Fanholes Mobile Suit Mondays. We have a very exciting episode for you guys tonight. We are thrilled to be discussing the final installment of Gundam Unicorn. You know you want to say it, Barber, so say it. We've been waiting. We've been waiting forever. We have been waiting forever for this episode. And so it has finally been released. Over the rainbow. I keep thinking that like we should play some Wizard of Oz music to the background of this and everything while we're discussing the events of this episode. But yes, Gundam Unicorn Episode 7, Over the Rainbow, is out. Rather than kind of do some of the normal things we do on Build Fighters where we do kind of like a blow-by-blow, I'm just going to be a dirty cheat and crib off some, some small synopses on the internet so that we can get into talking about this right away and start asking each other questions and discussing crazy stuff like the constitutionality of certain events in the episode and stuff, fun, awesome debate topics. But in case you're living in a box, in case you're not a fan of Mobile Suit Gundam, I don't know why you'd be listening to this podcast otherwise. Gundam Unicorn is a seven-part OVA episode. And actually, it was originally supposed to be six parts, but there was just so much awesome, it spilled over into a seventh episode, which was theatrically released. So now this is finally up for viewing, thanks to the people up at Bandai. There's like a DVD Blu-ray release over in Japan that actually has the English dub as well. So we're going to be discussing that episode tonight because with me are two of my fellow fan holes who have seen the episode as well. So why don't you give a shout out, guys, and let everybody know who's here. Hey, it's Mike. Unicorn! <laughs> this is Justin, and no one knows how a cycle frame works. So, yeah, cool. This is Derek, Derek WC, and I'm also going to be one of your hosts tonight. And so here's the brief, brief crib synopsis of Gundam Unicorn in general, and then I'll do a brief synopsis of Episode 7, and we'll just get right into it. So basically, Gundam Unicorn is set about three years after the events of Char's counterattack, if you know what that is. And so the Neo-Zeon, the leftovers of that group, basically are called the Sleeves, and they're led by this kind of clone of the character Char Asnoble, who is known as Full Frontal. So Full Frontal is kind of like the bad guy in the piece. And then also some other bad, nasty, evil motherfuckers in the piece are the Vist Foundation and the Vist family. And so there's all kinds of weird, crazy crap going on with those people. And it kind of starts out that they're going to hand over this key to Laplace's box, which is this mysterious MacGuffin box, and nobody knows what's inside it, but supposedly, if it's open, it's going to bring about the destruction of the Earth Federation. So it's kind of like a big Pandora's box, and everybody's after it. The main character that we all follow in the storyline is a character called Benajer Lynx, who, of course, is a student. He's a young man, like most protagonists in Gundam. He's studying at the Anaheim Electronics Industrial College on the Space Colony Industrial 7, and he ends up meeting this girl named Audrey Byrne, who basically 
turns out to be Minerva Zabi, who is one of the members of the, the original Zeon group, and she's more interested in stopping all this kind of crap going on between the Vist Foundation and Full Frontal and, and the Sleeves and everybody. So basically, all these events kind of lead to Benadryl becoming the pilot of the Unicorn Gundam. And so at that point, Benadryl basically has to save the day and figure out what this crazy uncovered secret is. And if I didn't mention it before, this is set in the Universal Century timeline of Gundam. So that that's kind of, if you're not familiar with Gundam Unicorn and you haven't been watching any of the episodes, hopefully that should give you some idea of what we're going to discuss in this episode. But I, I, I would kind of recommend, if you haven't seen the first six episodes or even episode seven, watch it now before we start talking about some other stuff. But just to do a quick, brief synopsis of episode seven... I'm just going to crib off the Gundam Unicorn net site because I didn't really have anything prepared, and I'm lazy. So basically, Episode 7, Over the Rainbow, the location of Laplace's box, which has the potential to overthrow the Earth Federation government, has finally been revealed. The place is, uh, I don't even know how to say that, Malaganica at uh, Industrial 7? Mele- uh, Megalonica? Megalonica. Okay, cool. See, I wasn't even paying attention to that. The place is Megalonica at Industrial 7, where the whole incident began. Martha Viss, the acting head of the Viss Foundation, evil, evil bitch, is determined to protect the Foundation's interest. It doesn't say that in the description. That's just my (laughs) personal opinion. Together with her nephew, Albert Viss, creepy, creepy, Quicksilver... Scarlet Witch thing going on there. And Council on Colony Relations Chairman Ronan, a central figure in the Earth Federation government. She heads directly for the Cheyenne base in order to resolve the situation. Meanwhile, Banajer is hurrying to Industrial 7 in pursuit of Full Frontal, who has gone ahead to seize the box. But standing in his way are Ensign Reddy's Banshee Norn and Angelo's Rosen Zulu, who will reach, uh, what, what's it called again? Megalenica? Megalenica. Megalonica, where Siam, the guardian of the box, is waiting. So that's basically the official Gundam Net synopsis of the episode. But I I didn't want to kind of do a blow-by-blow this time of every little beat that happens, because I figured I've got two guys here with me that have watched the show, and, and we can get into different points about it. But I guess just passing along the buck... You know, what did you guys think of the episode? Were you were you thrilled with the conclusion? Like, was it worth? You know, I know I know we're joking about it. We've been waiting forever's, but you know what? The series did start in what, like twenty? What was it, like twenty ten or something? I don't know. When, when did this start exactly? Yeah, I think so. Like, yeah, four years. So it's ago? been yeah. So it's been like you know three three four years in the waiting. So what was this conclusion worth the wait, guys? We don't have time for this nonsense! Full Frontal is going to- I'm in this mess because of you! I, I liked it. I mean, it's, like, the whole series as a whole, it's kind of, like, it, it doesn't really break out of the mold. Like, it, it's it's very much a, like, you know, series for, like, us, like, older, crusty, like, G1 Gundam fans, pretty much. Like, it's kind of, like, you know, it's got all the standard Gundam tropes and stuff, and, you know, there's nothing, like, I don't think there's a lot of, like, new stuff, but, like, the 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 old stuff that they use is like masterfully you know done and everything seems familiar and very nicely done and you know it's the animation's beautiful and like this yeah the conclusion I, I liked it I mean it's kind of on the same thing as like Char's counterattack where there's a lot of stuff where you're kind of like wow that's kind of like blue cupcakes and whatnot and like you uh, it, it's probably very ripe for discussion but yeah my 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 initial like I watched it twice I watched it like. The first day it came out for rental, like on the PlayStation Network, I rented it, but like I, I assumed it would be the English dub, but it was just the the uh, Japanese with subtitles. So I was like, okay, well I I paid for it, so I'll watch it. So I watched that, and then I later like went and watched the English dub. So I've seen it twice now, and yeah, but like I, I, my my thought, my initial thoughts are I liked it. You, sir, are a better otaku than I am because I watched it today. I watched the English dub. I don't even know if I have any intention of watching the original Japanese. I may, but but I was, you know, definitely, like we've discussed before, I'm eager to see stuff when it's 
it's dubbed in English and see how that turns out. Obviously, like you're saying, the, the animation is great, and it has many of the kind of tropes and themes from other Gundam series, but I think it's... Basically, this is the seventh episode. Well, this would be tantamount in my mind to, like, in, in most Gundam series, this is like episode 50 where, like, everybody's cards are on the table and all these final fights are going on and you basically don't know who's up for grabs in terms of living and dying. And so there's lots of high stakes in, in this particular episode and usually at the end of most Gundam series. So what about you, Justin? Like, what did you, what was your take on the conclusion? Like, how did you feel about how this all wrapped up for Gundam Unicorn? I liked it, but it's, I, I don't think I've been waiting as long as you and Mike have. Like, I've only waited like a year or two maybe because I, like, I remember watching like the first five episodes like back-to-back in a giant marathon. And then the sixth episode came out not long after that because I think we were getting ready to like do a some type of Gundam show for that or something. So Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. that's a good point actually. If, if you haven't been keeping up with Unicorn but you're still confused at what we're talking about, like we've done Gundam shows in the past where we've talked about Unicorn on either Anime Dares or some of our Gundam shows. So you can go back to some of the, the podcast proffers instead of Mobile Suit Mondays and check some of those out to, to get a refresher course if you're in the mood. But yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt, Justin, so keep keep going with your thoughts on, I know you weren't waiting that long, but even even waiting a year is still, you know, it's yeah, still it, a significant amount of time, right? Yeah, it, it's, you know, unusual, I guess, in this day and age. I, it's, it's like we've joked about this in the past, like, man, the, guy, the guys like back in the day who were watching like 8th MS Team, like they had it really rough. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's unusual for to wait so long in this day and age because usually it's all like, you know, you get your 50-some episodes, like one shot, like back-to-back with no interruptions. But it's like with the caliber of animation, like I think it I think it was worth the wait. But as far as like was this like a satisfying conclusion, like, yeah, I, I thought it was. You know, it's, like Mike said, there was a lot of like Blue Cape Cupcake, like Charles Counterattack stuff. But I, I kind of liked it. Like I thought it was fitting – and I thought it kind of like fit in with like more of that Charles counterattack stuff. But I, I like I wanted to ask you guys though, like, what did you think about Full Frontal's fate? Like, did you was you satisfied with that, or did you think that was kind of like, you know, an easy out for him, or like what? I would also like to know the answer to that question, but alas, I do not. Lala gets a nice three-way in <laughs> outer space T-sphere, like Blue Cupcake Land, or whatever. Like, because she's got she's got two chars to hang out with when she's like floating around with jaggedy comets and all that stuff. I I I think it was, I guess, a, an acceptance of what was going on or what was about to happen in a weird way. Like I I kind of thought his I know we're all jumping around, but what I thought of it was mainly I thought he sort of won the argument with Benajer, like when he took him through that cool little time travel scene where he's basically like showing him basically everything that's happened before and everything that's to come. But I, I'm curious what your take on it is, because I know we've had these discussions before where we've talked about things being emotionally based and logic based. So I was just going to ask you, like, are you a proponent of the even so like philosophy or did you did you listen to what Full Frontal was saying and kind of go, oh, well, that makes sense, because from my perspective, Everything full frontal seemed to make perfect sense, and I know Benajer has like the hero aura, so he just gets to go like. But even so, even even though all the stuff you say is logical and makes sense, it doesn't matter because I'm the fucking main character, you know. So it was like that's kind of what I took out of it. But I was curious what you sort of took out of that. I I pretty much agree with you. Like I guess if you look at it, another way to look at it is it's like he's full frontal is like Magneto. And I've always like agreed with Magneto more. So like when he was when they were doing their little time trip and they were you know arguing about like you know light and you know goodness and all that stuff, I was like, you know, I was like he's kind of making sense to me. I guess that makes me a neo neo zeon or whatever. Only new types understand this truth. One shouldn't place irrational hope in a life that fades away after its brief existence. But even so. I was just going to say, like, we as the audience, we have the benefit of knowing that Full Frontal was right, because if you look at F91, nothing's changed. Like, yeah, humanity yeah, has not true. evolved. And, like, even Absolutely. further, like, victory and stuff. Like, there's still war and stuff, so. 
Yeah, that that is true. Uh, what what I wanted to do, I told Mike that I was going to spring this on you guys, but this is as good a time as any since he's brought up F91. I just wanted to show you this picture that I saw online, which I thought was kind of hilarious. And so I've posted it in there, but just to describe to the audience since they cannot see it. This is a reference to one of the characters, Angelo, who is part of the sleeves, and he basically is shall we say, enamored with Full Frontal, and he is one of his lieutenants, and and he's one of the mobile suits that Benazir has to fight in this final episode where they're having these final fatal battles with, with all these different characters. So in the description there, and I was I wanted to get at least Justin and, and Mike's reaction to this, but this is just one of those, like, quote-unquote, you know, mind-blowing theories. I don't think it's mind-blowing, but I, I thought it was hilarious, so I wanted to share it and see what, what the, the other fan holes take would be. But they're basically just pointing out that Angelo's character design, you know, he's kind of got purple hair, and he kind of looks like Doral Rona from F91 a bit. But then they're kind of making an even further leap, suggesting that Angelo is actually Rona from F91, the kind of Darth Vader guy with the metal mask. And you probably remember this if you've listened to our inaugural episode one of Mobile Suit Mondays, where we talked about F91. And I'm kind of glad everybody on this show has seen it now, because they can look at that and kind of chuckle or whatever. But in addition to that, they said, okay, well, he's marrying Nadia Fairchild. And so in the description on the JPEG, it says, she looks an awful lot like Full Frontal, aesthetically speaking, you know, and that's just kind of a jab at the fact that this Angelo character is so enamored, like, obviously, like, he's he's madly in love with Full Frontal, whether he admits it to himself or not, so it's just, it's kind of amusing to me, but I, I just thought I'd throw that out there since we were sort of discussing F91 being a outcome, I guess, to, to this kind of in-between side story. Yeah, that's a very interesting theory. I could see yeah. that. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I know some of it to me is funny, but, but yeah, it's like, I, I, I always, I think the thing I love about watching these series is you can watch the episode and you can take away certain things from it, but I always have a lot of fun just going to, like, different forums and boards and seeing people discuss it and review it, because it seems like everybody gets a little something different out of it. I guess, like, another thing we can jump to, speaking of things like that, is... You know, of course, spoilers, they reveal what Laplace's box is, and I think this is an interesting topic of discussion as well, which is Laplace's box is basically the original sort of constitution, shall we say, of Universal Century when the first year of Universal Century was inaugurated, and it was what the Earth Federation wrote, and apparently an article was left out of that constitution, which basically states that if there were to be, I guess, space noids, you know, people that lived in outer space that had enhanced abilities and would be permanent residents there and, and sort of form a new life form based on, you know, how long they were out there, that they, they would basically have priority and, and, and kind of a place in, in the new government. But, of course, I guess the Federation wiped that part of the Constitution out. And I've heard some people compare that to, you know, like fascist superiority. And I've heard some people compare it to almost like having a, a part in the Constitution that said that, like, Native Americans would have a place in the government, but then it was excised out. So, I, I mean, I've heard it from basically both angles, you know, where somebody thinks this is like a really positive thing, you know, for, I guess, space noids and the concept of the fictional universe. And then I've also heard it where people are like, oh, my God, that's that's terrible. That's like, you know, Nazi superiority complex and, and all this other kind of stuff. So I'm just curious what your guys' thoughts were when you first sort of found that out, that that was the big reveal, because obviously different characters react to it different ways on the show itself. So I guess it's only natural that different audience people watching it will react to it differently as well. In the beginning, it was nothing more than a scandal to threaten the existing administration. The principality of Xeon's rise to power changed things. Whether or not new types actually exist isn't the issue. The very fact that the Federation swept that article under the rug would become the ultimate weapon for those who believe in Xeon. They had no choice but to remain silent. It would keep this world from going to hell. Hmm. 
like when that was revealed, I was kind of like, oh, that's it. <laughs> like I, I, I don't know exactly what I was expecting, but I was like, oh, that's it. And then you know, um, Simon Vest was going on his big spiel about like, you know, you can you can kill me, you can like open it, you can you know not open it. You know, you can do whatever you want. And then later on, he's talking, and he's like, you know what? Even if you do open it, it probably won't make much difference. It'll be debated and then, you know, contested and then, you know, hotly discussed, and then it'll be forgotten about. And, like, that that seems to, like, be the case, like, as far as, like, you know, F-91 goes or whatever. Like, I, I think kind of like Full Frontal, it's like I kind of agree with him. Like, I, I don't think it even mattered that they opened it and that they found that, that you know, erased, you know, thing there. Like, it, it didn't even matter. I guess, like, the theme, like, of Benajer's, like, group, at least, is, like, believing in the possibility that, like, things could change. So they were willing to, like, believe it. But, like, reality is things probably wouldn't change. But, yeah. Well, it's interesting because, I guess, to respond to what Justin is saying, you can use F-91 as a basis for saying that it, it, obviously, the reveal didn't mean anything. But a lot of people use it as a point of contention that it meant a whole lot because there aren't a whole lot of new types left in F-91. So, I mean, you could argue that the possibility was squandered, maybe, or you could even argue that since there are, like, no remnants of Xeon as along with new types. I mean, you know, basically, like, yeah, you've got your main character who's probably a new type and Cecily and some other folks, but, you know, it's like... They're 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 there, but they're not, I guess, as prevalent. You know, I guess we're not privy to it. Like we don't know too much because that series was kind of cut short. But it doesn't seem like they're as prevalent as they were in the previous Universal Century series. So you know, you could argue that you know revealing that to everyone did have an effect, but maybe it wasn't exactly the the promise, you know, the positive promise that Benajer's group was looking for, and maybe it wasn't exactly the extreme, you know, this is going to destroy the universe, you know, version that that the other people were so afraid of. You know, it was maybe kind of like what, what the guy says. People debate about it. People talk about it. It definitely has its ramifications. But in the final analysis, it, it's not going to be one extreme or the other. Opening it is not going to usher in a new age of, you know, peace and happiness until all are one. And, you know, opening it is not going to herald in an age of death and destruction and despair for, you know, the next hundred thousand years, you know? So. I, I was, I was just thinking that it was yet another, like, sort of like retcon, like professor Xavier retcon, like the Federation were always shady fucks, you know? <laughs> like, like it seems like every series after the original Gundam, it's like, you know, the Federation are like corrupt and like terrible and stuff. But, you know, in the original Gundam, it's a little more innocent, but yeah. Yeah. That, that's interesting too, because you, you'll have people that talk about kind of like what you're saying, like, oh, the Federation were always assholes. I mean, look at the Titans, you know, look at, you know, you know, how they basically, you know, in the one year war, they were about to surrender until this point in the war or whatever. So like there, there are points where I, I think people point to basically kind of, kind of like history. I mean, maybe Justin will back me up on this, but, you know, you, you'll point to people who are, are high up in command you know, that, that don't know what the hell they're doing in certain situations, but it's actually the people on the ground who are brave and courageous. It's actually like the bright Noahs and the Amaro Rays who, you know, or, or the Captain Kirks or whoever, you know, the guys that say like, you know, fuck these orders, we're going to go fix some shit and save people from fucking getting killed by, you know, shit logs that want to talk to whales, you know, like we're going to do do what we have to do, you know, to, to, to sort of get stuff done. But if you actually like, basically, if you put... You know, President, what's his name from RoboCop? If you put, you know, President Eric Foreman's dad, dumbass from Star Trek Four, in charge of the Enterprise in Star Trek Four, you know, you may very well have seen the end of the Earth. You know, whereas, you know, in in that case, you know, in transposing that analogy to UC Gundam, you know, a, a lot of the people that are quote unquote in charge, you know, they're they're all doing it for these selfish motivations. I mean, you see these these uh, higher-ranking officials that are basically culprits, you know, like they're, they're, you know, they're part of this conspiracy with the Vist family to basically, you know, 
keep this secret. And then in the meantime, like, you know, Benazir's family was like extorting them for their secret for years and years and years. And it's all to preserve this sort of very like loose temperamental power base. But I, I see what you're saying. That's what it makes me laugh. You know, it's like the Professor Xavier was always a jerk. And you have this argument where, well, no, he did some good things, too. You know, so it's like yeah. you know, there, there's always that story where it's like Professor Xavier is upstanding moral, like he can do no wrong. And then of course, you have to have that story in the past where it's like it, Professor X's deep, dark secret is, you know, he likes to go to casinos and take everybody's money to fund the <laughs> X-Men or, you know, that, that was always my joke, but you know, it's like th those kind of things, you know, there, there are those, you know, deep, dark secrets of the Federation, but clearly by F91, I mean, they're, they're clearly a bunch of incompetence, you know, whether it's the people in charge or the people on the ground with the boots, you know? So it's like that certainly, I don't know, to me like that, uh, I know what Justin's saying, like where he expected more from the reveal, but I guess in the context of knowing where certain things go in the timeline, to me, it kind of speaks of, you know, well, the Federation was never the same after this point, you know, whether you want to attribute it to what happened in Char's counterattack or whether you want to attribute it to what happens in, in, you know, in this series. I will say, though, that what I do like about this ending is that it's not that, like, super anime ending where it's like one thing happens and all the characters good or bad immediately realize this is going to change everything forever like you know Gundam Wing or something it's like this has changed everything forever no more Gundams no more mobile suits no more weapons at all and then it's like yeah that's a that's a good you know fun idealistic anime ending but like realistically that's not going to happen and I kind of like that they went that way whether it was due to like you knowing knowing what happens in F ninety one or victory or whatever or just you know wanting to be more realistic like I, I appreciated that. But it, it's funny because like the ending is kind of like hopeful seeming and like it sort of ends on a sort of positive note. But on the other hand, when you think about it, like like the the Federation is like on their way to silence like you know our heroes basically and like make sure none of this ever gets out and hunt them down like fugitives and stuff. And they, like, it, as history goes, they probably succeeded. So, like, it's kind of depressing once you think about it. But. Well, the, the other thing that people like to point to, I guess, I guess it's kind of like what you're saying, whether you, you fall into the category of logic, like, logically, they should have silenced these people because there, there's not too many people that know about it, or at least the, the ramifications of it were very minimal per se. But then again, you know, you've got the people that like to point to all these, like, fan side stories or side Gundam stories in, like, the official canon where, like, Judao was off leading new types to, like, this whole different colony, wherever the hell that is. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, where are all the new types in F-91? They're all chilling with Judao, like, having new type soup and playing new type volleyball and beach ball. And, like, basically, you know, you you might say, like, oh, well, Benadryl and Audrey are just chilling with Judao playing, like, beach volleyball, and everybody else can go fuck themselves, you know? like So it's like, that's that's basically, like, you know, I, I, to me, that could be a positive interpretation you know they definitely leave it much like char's counterattack you know it's open-ended like you don't you know uh, the, the only thing i found fascinating was you know for sure you're like oh well wow benazir did not go like all camille beat on you know like he definitely you know survived you know at the end of that you know i mean as far as like where where we leave off you know like they, they the, those characters that we've been following you know benazir and audrey you know they're they're alive so you know that that was something for me that i was kind of like i i was telling you mike i was like i was trying to like find out like well, i wonder how the last episode of the novel this was based on turned out like i thought you know for me i was like for sure there's got to be a passage where Benazir really, you know, bites the bullet and everybody's crying and he doesn't actually come back or he actually stays bonded to the unicorn and becomes the ultimate new type and pulls a Goku and is like, okay, goodbye. <laughs> like, even though I said I loved you and I promised I'd never leave you, I'm going to go off and have new type adventures with Oob or whatever I'm going to do, <laughs> you know? And I was convinced, like, there was some, like, legitimate, like, real ending like that. And from what I can tell, from what I can gather from reading like poor translations of certain passages online because I don't think all the chapters have been translated fully. It seems like it's pretty faithful to me, but I know Mike, you had mentioned like you were noting a lot of research that you did about 
what was different between you know the novellas and and the actual anime so i don't know if you'd want to tell our listeners like some of the points that you wanted to share or bring up or anything like that <laughs> why does the captain need you someone who doesn't even want him why does it have to be so unfair don't look don't look at me captain <laughs> Well, going going back to that theory, like you posted the JPEG about Angelo, like I I can tell you that that probably wasn't the original intention because I know that Angelo dies like at the in the end of the novel, like oh okay yeah okay, so like cool. instead of like. He's, like in the in the in the movie, it seems sort of like that Benajer kind of like almost tricks him into like disabling himself, and like he he manages to survive it. But like in the novel, it's like Benajer tries to like reach out to him with like new type blue cupcakiness, and Angelo like panics, and he's like, "No way, no way! Like keep your blue cupcakes away from me!" And he like kills himself basically. So there's other things like sort of. Like in other episodes where like characters are replaced by other characters and like other characters like die in different ways and stuff like that. But like you said, I think the ending is basically the same more or less. Yeah, and like I, for some reason, in the back of my head, I was like, "Is this the real ending?" But uh, it seems like it is. Like that that the you know he does become this ultimate new type, but then at the last minute, I guess due to his love of Audrey, you know, he kind of rejects that notion, which to me is interesting because, like I said, you have these guys like Goku that are like, well, I'm so in love with the fight, you know, I abandoned my wife for, you know, I don't know, 15 years and then turned into a little kid, which is kind of abandoning her even more or whatever, you know, like whatever it turns out to be, you know, like there's a lot of examples of these leading men that just abandon their women for whatever cockamamie reason and and here to me it was like kind of almost like wow he he said fuck this shit you know ultimate new type stuff like i'm going back to audrey because i made her a promise and i was like that was kind of you know i I thought that was kind of cool yeah i don't know what you guys to bring it a little like closer to home i guess i was kind of thinking of like setsuna at the end of like gundam double o like the movie but he's kind of like an emotionally stunted like sociopath so he just left with like saying nothing to no one so at least like banajer kind of like eventually got dragged back by someone yeah there seemed to be a lot of emotional beats especially in this episode like i i thought the 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 death of marita and and her scene with zimmerman like I, I thought that I, I don't know for me that that hit me really hard. Like I thought that was kind of a touching scene there where she almost you know almost pulls like an Obi Wan Kenobi where she's like basically sacrificing herself so you know Ensign Reddy can get all the crazy stub my toe shit out of his you know <laughs> out of his head yeah. and and I guess it kind of works you know like I mean he is helping. Benajer and, and basically cradling him at the end there when they're, you know, stopping the big Grips 2 cannon from, from Zeta Gundam from basically destroying them all, which, you know, I thought was pretty cool. I mean, there's lots of cool, you know, fights, whether it's between, you know, Angelo and Benajer or, or Ensign Reddy and Benajer, and then even like Full Frontal shows up and it's like, Basically, Ensign Reddy and, and Benajer, to coin, you know, your famous phrase, Mike, you know, they, they basically have an awesome rival fusion there at the end where they're like, well, we got to mess up full frontal to get, get this done. Yeah, when I, when I was watching this at the beginning, I was like, man, I don't want Reddy to, like, completely lose his, in, lose his sanity like so many other guys and freak out. Like, I want him to, like... I want him to have the rival fusion, and I want him to survive. And, like, that happened. Like, I was so happy about that. I was like, yes! Because I, I, yeah. I always thought he was, like, a really sympathetic character. And I was, I was like, Man, yeah, like, don't go crazy. Mo- yeah, like, most people t- tend to give Riddy, like, a hard time. Like, because he's, like, he's a rich kid, and he th- he's kind of entitled. And, like, you know, like, things don't go his way, so he gets all mad and butthurt about it. And, like, you know, like, why won't you do what I tell you to do, Audrey? Like, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, like, uh, when you think about it, like, he... 
it's some some of it is kind of justified where he's kind of like like he's like you said Derek he's like living in the real world kind of and they're like all like all these like starry eyed idealists and stuff and he's like you know well and 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 then you know I think it's fair to keep in mind he's privy I mean I know you know Justin kind of said well the reveal of the Laplace's box is kind of ho hum but I mean he's privy to this. Yeah, that's secret, right. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, he kind of had the weight of that on his shoulders this whole time. I mean, since his father told him. So it's not as if I, I think the insinuation when people say, oh, well, he's a rich kid and he's got a silver spoon in his mouth and he's had everything handed to him. It's like, OK, that's fine. But, you know, th- there's a there's a big hardship right there where, you know, he basically was privy to this kind of, you know, universe changing secret that nobody else knew about. And, and, you know, that might, you know, cause anybody to get their toe stubbed just a little bit. So, you know, that's, I mean, I, I don't know that that's like, yeah, I, I did have that vibe of, oh man, he fucking shot her, you know, but yeah. then it's like, but if he didn't do that, then maybe they wouldn't have gotten saved from the grips too. Like, it's like, who the fuck knows what would have happened. So, you know, sometimes I, I think it's like one of those things where like certain things have to, happen certain transactions of events have to get done in order for you know the resolution to to occur but you know there i you know i i just i would i guess it's it's that funny thing in gundam where i guess it doesn't matter who's on whose side like when when they have their emotional bits and moments you know they they do a good job kind of like all quiet on the western front it's like you know you're you're still relating to whoever the enemy is anyway, you know, it's, it, it does a good job of sort of making that yeah. sympathy and empathy come through, you know, w- w- no matter who's on what side. Yeah, so. Marita was probably my favorite character from this series. So I was kind of bummed to see her go, but she did. Yeah. She did have a good like death scene. I think it's so like you after all we've been through. Those are your final words to me. You have meant everything to me. You were my light, a light that gave me a new life. Thank you, Father. Speaking of, like you said earlier, like changes from the novel, like in the novel, the ship is actually quite closer to that fight. And like, like the Riddy gets so like agitated by all the voices that are coming that he, he actually fires on like the nail Argama and Marita blocks the shot meant for the nail Argama. And that's how she dies. But instead of like, she just kind of reaches out to him and he like slaps her hand away. But like, yeah, that's, that's like a sort of another like difference between the novel and the animation. So I, I was just going to throw this out there. I, I was highly, like, giddy and amused by all the Universal Century cameos, whether they were in timeline flashbacks, like where Full Frontal takes Benazir, like, up and down through a Balaku and, you know, the beginning of the one-year war and all this kind of stuff. But also, you know, seeing, like, Kai and Noah Bright come in and stuff. And it, it was nice, you know, I, it, it's that weird thing of, like, Bright is kind of nerfed, but kind of not. You know, it's like that that cool thing about Bright where it's like he's he's the fucking stand up man, but then it's like Bright, why don't you just punch that son of a bitch so he doesn't set off the fucking? I mean, it's, you know, like <laughs> there's that weird thing where I was like I was like, okay, you know, you want to live with yourself, well, you just gonna stand there and let him fire the fucking cannon? Like, if you're gonna put your family in jeopardy, like like he's saying you are, well, you might as well just fucking callcock the son of a bitch and put him under military arrest and be like, hey. He was going to fucking shoot on all these people, and there's no reason to do it, you know? But I don't know. There's some stuff about that where, you know, maybe there's certain decorum and stuff that I just, I'm not, you know, capable of, I don't know, sympathizing with or understanding or anything. But but there is that moment where I, I love when, when he gets that fucking this bitch, and he's like, uh, ma'am, you're coming with us. Like, and it doesn't, and, and yeah, the military is going to do something, but it's not going to be what you fucking tell him to do. Yeah, as, so. he's like, as a civilian, you have, like, no say in what we're going to do. Yeah, and I was just like, yes! <laughs> fucking bitch. Anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I think she's going to be, like, my new number three, like, it's like, what, Quest Pariah, and, uh, you know, freaking, uh, I don't know who else. I fucking can't stand, but there's there's those characters where I'm just like, I hate you. I, 
So I have one I question that so remains. Much. I have one question that remains unanswered after these seven episodes. If you're like, you know, Char's second coming, and you're like super pilot, bad guy in space or whatever, why do you call yourself Full Frontal? Like, how, how do you get that name? <laughs> do I want to know? <laughs> well, I, I guess like the concept is basically like I don't know if it makes much sense in fiction, but like. Like, I guess the joke is that, like, his name is, like, full frontal, like, fully exposed, but, like, he's a mystery, basically, and he's like, wears a mask and stuff, and, like, no one knows, like, who he is, basically. Like, cause, like everyone thinks he's Char, but, like, you don't know for sure, basically. I, I always kind of took it, though, as a, as a Charism, too, the way Char's attitude was always, well, I'm in a mobile suit. But my mobile suit, I'm going to make stand out and paint it red. And you're like, well, why would you do that? You know, like, yeah. why would you put a big yellow bat oval on your chest? You know what I mean? Because I want motherfuckers to come after me because I'm that good. You know, it doesn't matter that, that I, you know, basically it's like, you know, the equivalent of that is going to Iraq with a, you know, freaking big neon orange jumpsuit, you know, and being like, yo, over here, motherfuckers, you know, or whatever, you know, and you're so badass, it doesn't even matter, like, that's how good you are, imagine going through Iraq with a big orange fucking tank, or, or whatever, you know, like, that's the equivalent of that, and, and to me, like, full frontal, letting it all hang out, like, that, to me, that's always been tandem to that, I, I know that's way too deep for something that people just like to poke fun of, on the internet and go, oh, full frontal. But to me, like, that's kind of, that, that's what I always took out of it. It's just that it's, it's one of those kind of tropes where he's, he's so badass, you know, he's Moon Knight. He's like, I want them to see me coming. I'm wearing all white, you know, I'm, I'm full frontal. I'm totally exposed and out there. And it doesn't matter that my dick's hanging in the wind. You're never going <laughs> to cut it off because I'm so badass. You know, like, that's, that's kind of how I always took it. But that that's just me. Well, when you put it that way. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was I was reading some really like interesting like theories and other stuff from like the author of the novel about like who Full Frontal like really was and well, let me just say like the novels explicitly spell out that Full Frontal is just some dude who was made into a cyber new type like given plastic surgery to look like Char and then like implanted with like the memories and consciousness of Char from like a psycho frame that like Char had used like but the the movie doesn't really ever actually come out and say like that like the movie just kind of says oh he's like an empty vessel that like you know Char's will is controlling more or less and like the 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 author of the novels like actually said like recently like he had an interview about the movie and stuff and he he pretty much says like you know that scene where like Char's spirit and like like he he he's he imagines that like when um when Char like quote unquote like died in Char's counterattack like like Char the man like died but like his spirit like his sense of duty like kind of remained in the on in the earth and that's what like full frontal was was like basically Char without a soul basically like just his sense of duty because basically all he wants is to like you know revive Neo Zeon and like you know and like even like Maneva said like last episode like she was like you you can't possibly be Char because the Char I knew like believed in like all that new type stuff and would want like humanity to progress and like you know basically that scene where like Char and Lala's ghosts come and like touch like full frontal like it, it, he said it's basically like Char coming to reclaim like that lost piece of his soul that was like still on Earth basically. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Are you sure about this? Yes. Let's leave the rest to them. <laughs> what about Benajer's uh, Captain America shield? Like, I thought that was pretty blue cupcake-y, but awesome blue cupcakes. Why did did you guys have any thoughts on that? What do you mean? Well, just just the fact that he was using the the psycho frame to control those pieces of the shield, even yeah. when he's like not even on the ship. Like to me, it was always like, you know, I, I don't know. I I just always thought of it as like that that shield seemed fairly indestructible, kind of like a yeah. Captain America shield. But at the same time, it was just like, 
wait, you, it, it, it's almost like if Captain America had telepathy and yeah. his shield split into like different pizza pie pieces and stuff and just flew around and shit and then came together when Thanos was about to punch him <laughs> in the face, you know, and I was always like, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. It's kind of blue cupcakey, but it's kind of cool, you know. Well, so. here, here's personally what I know is that, like, like take, like, the new Gundam from, like, Char's counterattack. Its cockpit was, like, li- like to answer, like, Justin's question, like, from earlier, like, he doesn't know, like, no one knows what a psycho frame <laughs> is. But, yeah. like, well, basically, like, uh, as far as I understand it, a psycho frame is something that magnifies, like, new type power. So, like, the new Gundam, like, it had psycho frames in its cockpit. But the Unicorn Gundam has psycho frames all over its body. Like, all those glowing red parts are glowing green parts when he goes, like, all super unicorn or whatever. Those are all psycho frames. So, basically, like, Banajer's new type power is, like, you know, psycho frame times infinity or whatever. So, that's how he can do all this, like, psychic, like, telekinetic crap and whatnot. Like, those shields, like, they don't have any propulsion or anything. That's, like, they're all flying around, like, just like, Link to the Unicorn's, like, psycho frame and, like, Banager's will, basically. So that's pretty much... It's a it's a little more superhuman than, like, UC Gundam, I guess, is sort of known for. But, you know, I guess it's, like, you know, more crazy new type stuff, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have heard detractors kind of decry the the extreme, awesome, you know, new type abilities that are displayed here where, you know, they, they're more fans of, you know, some of the more, I, I guess we'd just say, you know, normals in, in the series or whatever. Or, but I, you know. Or I was going to say, like, like this is, like, the scene where, like, after they, they go through that, like, like time travel, like, adventure or whatever, like, when they come back, Frontal's, like, suit like the the Sinanju or 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 the the big mobile armor they call it the Neo Zeong which is kind of funny like it, it, when they come back all of a sudden it like seems to like rapidly age and like crumble to pieces and stuff and the reason like people like speculate that happened is because like since they kind of went to the beginning of time like quote unquote and then came back the psycho frames made it like real basically and like his machine pretty much aged like millions and millions of years and instant uh okay but you know maybe that's like a little like weird and like way too like out there but you know that's pretty much what the speculation is yeah that that seems like it makes sense to me i mean i you know sometimes like you're looking at it and you're like oh it's just because you know banager has his round two power and he's awesome you know (laughs) like but but it could be that as well yeah and like even i guess guess that's a way to to sort of ground it through science instead of just because it's like you know at some point banager's just like fuck you and all your arms i'm ripping off this arm i'm ripping off that arm and then i'm (laughs) gonna stick my fucking foot down your face you know (laughs) it's just like i've had it with this bullshit well, yeah. even, even like, at the very end, when Banajer is kind of, like, merged with the Unicorn Gundam and its psycho frames have, like, kind of, like, crystallized or whatever, and, like, he, he knocks out that entire, like, Federation fleet with, like, a wave of the Unicorn's hand, basically. Like, he must have, like, knocked them all unconscious or something, but... And then, yeah. like, at the very end, like, when he comes back to himself, like, he manages to pull, like, the Unicorn all back together again, so... Yeah, he does. So, yeah, the, there is that aspect to it, I guess. But he, he, I mean, he does seem to be, I mean, at least in that form, he does seem to be pretty all all powerful, at least for the moment. You know, he has that, not like, not only round two power, but just that sort of fan aura of, like, you, you could do whatever you wanted to him at the time, but it wouldn't really do much to him. Phenomenal cosmic powers. Itty bitty living space. <laughs> Do not waver. You are your father's unicorn. I wanted to comment a little, like on the English dub. Like I, I think Unicorn in general has a great like English dub and stuff. And but I, I was just laughing because, like I like as I alluded to, like in my introduction, I was like, the dude kind of makes like. Banager sound a little whiny sometimes like like in in the Japanese version like when he yells unicorn like it's kind of cool and stuff unicorn! when he like the English dub he's kind of like unicorn <laughs> yeah I laughed at that too <laughs> but yeah that's I forgot the guy's name but he's the same dude who voiced Seabook 
in F91 and uh, uh, okay. and uh, Shiro Amada in 08th team. Yeah, they they were all good. I thought. I mean, I I enjoyed the voice work in it. I I liked it a lot. And although whenever Angelo talks, all I can hear is Dean Venture. I will not lose to someone like you. <laughs> Or, or Dean Venture or Leonardo, basically. <laughs> Actually, I think this is the only episode I watched the English dub. Like the other ones, I watched uh, just the sub version. Okay. So what? I mean, did you enjoy the dub this time when you watched it, Justin? Yeah, I didn't have any problems with any of the voices. Like I all, I all thought they were all good. Like the only thing that I was like, oh come on, was just what Mike said. You know, the unicorn. <laughs> I thought that was like, <laughs> I was like. Oh, come on, really? I was like, I wonder what that sounds like in Japanese. But yeah, I thought it was a good dub. Nice. Yeah, well, I was gonna say also like, like the scream he does when like when Marita is killed because I assume like he was kind of like linked to her like all new typey and whatnot. Like it, it, it's okay in English, but in, like as always, like in Japanese, it seems like they're not afraid to like blow their like voices out or something with screams or you know they go like all out. And stuff because it really sounds like his heart's being ripped out, like in the Japanese version when Marita dies. Yeah, I think sometimes it's tough for folks to do that. I remember the guy who did the the lead in G Gundam was was very concerned with capturing that nature of of the original you know and, and you could tell that in in some of his voice work but you know i mean I, I i don't think that means that anybody else is that that means anybody else has a lack of trying to recapture it but i i guess you do sometimes you know i guess it can't be helped you know like you're in a recording studio and you know like sometimes you're just like oh look it's like it's time for a guy to yawn. Like time, it's time to yawn. You know, a day player, you know, or whatever. This is or like this is your third voice, you know, because of SAG rules. Like time to play the yawning guy. And you know, in the beginning, it's like you know, I, I don't know. Like sometimes I, I get pissed off by it because you know you've got the otaku people who'd be like that yawn in Japanese was so real, <laughs> so good, you know. And you're just like it's a fucking yawn, man. Like you know, and, and at the beginning of the episode, it's like okay, so the guy goes. You know, it's like, that was so fake, so fake, but the Japanese yawn, oh, so, you know, oh, that was so real, that was so good, so it's like, I don't know, sometimes I get grumpy about that. You know, I, I, I understand what you're saying, Mike, like, there there is that point where, you know, you can tell maybe, you know, just for, for the sake of the actor preserving his tools, you know, maybe he doesn't, you know, decide to lose his voice unless it's the last recording day ever, you know, and sometimes like, you know, I, I guess, you know, seeing stuff like that, you, you read about things where you're like, oh, this guy nearly drowned, or this guy burst a blood vessel while he was doing such and such on stage or in a film, and you're just kind of like, you burst a blood vessel? Like, seriously? <laughs> like, you know, it's like one of those things where you're like, man, that's some fucking commitment, you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't, I guess from my perspective, I don't expect even even a professional to have that much commitment to certain things. And if they do, like, congratulations to them. Like, that's awesome. If, if, if that one, you know, guy in the Japanese recording sounded like his heart was broken and he literally, like, broke his heart for a minute or whatever, like, then more power to him. But I, I'm not going to fault the, the English voice actor for not actually breaking his heart when he screamed out, you know, the character's name. It's My called dear boy. acting. It's called yeah. acting. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Exactly. you guys think like i don't know Derek. like you've never really expressed a lot of interest in this but i know justin like likes the toys and stuff like what did you think of like the mecha designs and stuff in this like episode and whatnot i thought all the like xeon stuff suits were pretty crazy like full frontal final giant thing like i I don't, was it called anything uh, like? Yeah, the the Neo Zeong, like like you were, oh. the it's it's supposed to be a homage to like Char's like final suit and Mobile Suit Gundam, which was called the Zeong. So they just called that, it that Neo. That was that big like Cyclops looking thing with horns that has a big dress or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That no legs. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought that thing was like really insane. Like the 
long-ish legs or thruster things. Like, I thought that was a little bit silly, but the rest of it, I was like, man, this thing is huge. And I was like, I bet eventually, like, it all gets blown away, and it's like a little tiny armor thing at the end. I was like, yep, I was right. But still, like, that thing was insane. Like, I really like that. Like, I I would be impressed if they could do some kind of, like, Damashi of that. Like, I'm sure it would be I mean, they expensive. They are – there, there are pictures like they're releasing a to scale model of it, like with the other like like one one in one forty four scale, I guess. And like there are pictures of it like online, and yeah, it's 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 like the size of a small child. Basically. <laughs> yeah, awesome. It, I think I think they said it's it's canonically like the largest mobile weapon in in UC at least. Basically. Now, now speaking of differences between the novel and the anime, like that mobile suit, if I'm, I mean, I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn, that's why I'm looking to Mike, but it, was that mobile, I don't think that mobile suit was in the original novel. No. Like, I think he piloted the Sazabi or whatever that suit uh, was. The Sinanju. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to. Yeah. Sort of explicitly state that for anybody who's listening that 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 mega you know super Zeong suit is is not actually in the original novel. Yeah, like as far as I know, like yeah, he just uses the regular vanilla like Sinanju in like the final battle, and and sort of like like a lot of the fringes like on on the Kshatriya and the Banshee like were o- only in the animation, like the novel. I, I think they just use the vanilla versions, like the Banshee Norn, like its new attachments. Like I, I don't think that exists in the novel. At the very beginning in the battle, there was a little quick sequence of like Saku like combining and transforming. Like I thought that was really neat. Like, oh yeah, that um, just like, a random yeah. thing. I was like, that's neat. Well, how they've never done that before. I was like, Mike, <laughs> no, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ask Mike. I, I have no like that's the first time I've ever seen that thing. But too. I saw that I was like, oh, cool, transforming yeah. uh, Zaku. <laughs> the thing I was laughing about, like, it's like the mecha porn kind of gets like out of control sometimes because <laughs> I'm kind of like, man, don't you guys have any duplicates? Like, like you guys, like, do each of you have like a specialized suit or whatever? Like, you know, it's like here's the kickboxing Zeon suit, you know, and here's the. <laughs> The shotgun wielding Zeon suit. Yeah, like, the, other the sniper one, guy. Yeah. yeah, and like, it's like, oh, the Federation seems to have duplicate suits, but the Zeon, I guess it's because the Zeon are all like ragtag now and whatnot, and they can only use what they have left. But like, I was kind of laughing. I was like, man, like, 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 it seems like every like every single Zeon, like Neo Zeon soldier who's left, only managed to hold on to their like unique suit or whatever, and like everyone has one unique suit. I think we know the real reason is because of Gunpla. <laughs> yeah. And Gunpla is serious business. It's true. It's very yeah. true. I think that's the real reason. I was going to ask, I don't know the answer to this, so and it could just be because my memory's old and I'm getting old or whatever, but in, in the scene where Kai shows up and he's having the conversation with Noah Bright, which is awesome, by the way. I like how he's like, this will be a tough decision. Bloop. Nope, not a tough decision. I'm Noah Bright. I'm badass. Like, I love that scene. But what, after he, like, kind of gets off, I think Kai is staring at a photo. And I was like, is that Belto Chico? Like, who was he looking at in the photo? I thought it was somebody. Yeah, she, she, she pops sure. up on a, like, tele, television screen or a, a phone call he's making or something. Like okay, okay. I thought, I thought it was, like, a picture, but I, I didn't know if it was a phone. But I, I thought maybe he was just, like, looking at a portrait of her or something. So I wasn't – but maybe it was a phone and well, he was just having a conversation. She, she did show up very briefly, like, in a previous episode, too, where Bright, like, okay. calls her for information. And I guess she's, like – some high level like uh information broker or something because okay poor in the anime series poor her and amaro do not end up together or whatever but, yeah yeah but oh well fools oh well yeah at, at least like she she gets to end up with him in like in the novelization of like char's counterattacks but yeah. other than that i guess like they had to invent Chan or whatever for that movie or whatever. It's weird because it seemed like they invented Belto Chica to fill in for Sela. Yeah. So it's like, it's like dude, poor Amaro just has to be all James Bond and like misogynistic because he couldn't get the voice actress to <laughs> reprise the role. Yeah. And he would have been all like faithful and uh, devout if that hadn't happened, but whatever. I was just going to say, did you guys like, like Amaro's like very brief cameo in this movie? 
when uh, what do you call like all the ghosts of like Char and Lala like left, and like you can yeah. hear Amaro say like, "Are you sure about this?" And Char's yeah. like, "Yes, we'll we'll just leave now." <laughs> like I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, I like that. I liked when you, you saw, like, Sela and Amuro and the, the RX-98, like, and all those time streams, and that, that was all cool. I wish they could have done more with it. Like, do you know anything about the novels in that? Like, did they did they show you more stuff from different timelines? Because a lot of things that people want to point to besides I, – I know we're saying it's all doom and gloom because of F-91 or whatever, but, I mean, there's also victory, which is a lot more doom and gloom, so I'm not going to try and say it's not. But when, once you get to turn A, I mean, if you include that as part of the package, you know, people like to bring that up and say, hey, you know, there, there really aren't any new types in turn A. And in addition, there really – aren't many humans living in space. You know, like, there were the, the folks on the moon, and then they come back to the Earth, and that's about it. So, I mean, if you if you go that far into the timeline and consider turn A as the final word on UC, you know, instead of this, you know, like, for new types, you, you might kind of point out that there really are no new types. But anyway, I just thought I'd sort of throw that in there as a potential topic of discussion. I guess Full Frontal would have had to have, uh, he should have, like, researched and, like, watched those shows, so then he would have had more, like, ammunition and stuff. More ammunition and stuff. I, yeah. I was kind of sad, like, in the, that flash of scenes and whatever, they didn't show anything from, like, the Zeta era or anything, like, like. but I guess it kind of yeah, yeah, that, that's what you would. that's what you would hope, like, they'd show other cool stuff, but it, it seemed like it was very one-year war-based, at least from my perspective. I, I, I went back and actually sort of stopped and freeze-framed it a couple times and was like, oh, look, there's Sela in the cockpit and there's, you know, there's, you know, Lala in her ship or whatever was going on, you know, and I was like, this is very Abalaku, one-year war. You know, th there wasn't really much reference to, I mean, at least from my perspective, unless I missed anything, I, I you know, I was thinking, you know, oh, well, wouldn't it be cool if they somehow did something like that where, you know, you actually flash through, like you're saying, like Zeta or you know, double Zeta or even, you know, get all the way up to like, you know, things that go past this where you're like, since you have the knowledge, you know, since you know that Darth Vader's going to meet C-3PO and Empire Strikes Back, maybe you could make something of that. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that you know now that, you know, he created him or whatever, you know, like, so, you know, it's like you could actually do something with that where, you know, you could have like clips of turn A and moon fucking race people sitting there with no clothes on, shellfish, <laughs> and swinging their dicks in the ponds, or, you know, see, what, whatever, like, whatever future scene you want to see, you know. Full Frontal could have seen, see, see, Benajer, like, like, in the future, <laughs> like, all people are naked, and they're not do-touches and stuff. Yeah, Like, exactly. it's hopeless, man. Yeah, like, yeah there's, there's just, there's no hope. There's no hope. We're just going to keep digging up these fucking suits and banging each other on the head with them. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I just thought it'd be cool if there were, if they could somehow get more comprehensive kind of time flash but but it still was a really cool scene but I guess I don't know did you did you ever answer my question like did, did, is anything like that mentioned in the novels to your knowledge uh, like, I don't know is it, like okay yeah, I don't know that whether it's more expansive or not. yeah okay yeah I'm, I'm curious about that part of it you know whether whether they actually give allusions to more part of the, the timeline than just what was shown in the the anime you always, like, yeah, it's like you always kind of want to know what happened. Like, they show some of the, like, obviously, like, Kai and whatnot, and then, like, other characters, like, you know, Beltorchka from the, like, from Zeta and stuff. But yeah, sometimes you're kind of like, you know, wonder, like, you, you're kind of like, wonder what, like, Shiro Amada or, like, Ko Uraki are, are doing, like, right now or whatever, like, at this time or, you know. It's it's kind of like Shiro. Shiro's like hobbling around. Yeah, he's in the mountains coffee. with his grandkids now. Yeah. That's what I. That's what I believe. Is like, that's what I would think. Yeah. Well, I know like the Shars counterattack novel state like actually has a cameo from like Camille and Fa in it, and they're like like living happily on Earth as like and running like their own clinic together and stuff. So that's kind of nice. But like that, I guess that's all. So is that is, is there any other thoughts or comments on Gundam Unicorn or should we should we wrap it up for tonight? I think that's about it. I mean, I liked it. I'm, it's a great series. I mean, it's well worth the watch. And I, I hope, like, I guess that we should say, I hope like 
they they write stuff or whatever whoever is going to distribute it over here releases like some kind of release over here soon like otherwise yeah. like we're stuck buying like the DV, the blu-ray from japan for like 60 70 bucks probably yeah yeah the, the import price how about you justin you have any final words or thoughts on uh, unicorn in general or unicorn episode seven over the rainbow i thought it was awesome oh like one thing like the first six episodes were like I don't know, almost an hour each, and then I didn't notice it until like I was done. But like this episode was like an hour and a half or so. I was just like, I didn't feel like an hour and a half at all. Like, uh, like I was into it completely. Oh no, yeah, yeah, You're, it's very, very engrossing. Uh, theatrical quality, obviously, animation. So, I mean, if you're if you're a fan of of UC Gundam, if you're a fan of to serious Gundam, you know, not the kind of kitty. You know, fun. Obviously, it's not. I don't mean kitty in a derogatory way, but the the fun kind of kitty stuff of build fighters. If you're more like, I needed to have drama and angst and passion and death and you know, debate about war and stuff. Like this is clearly, you know, an excellent Gundam and full series. frontal nudity. <laughs> Where's my and, and, well, debate and, you with know. The, uh, build fighters? <laughs> right, right, right. But, I, I mean, even, and, and then as another selling point, I mean, e- you know, even though Justin said this this episode is an hour and a half, the other episodes are only an hour. There's only seven of them, so it's not like, it's kind of like this, you know, bleach, one-piece level commitment where you have, like, 500 episodes to catch up on. You know, it's like, hey, this is, you know, you've got, you know, seven episodes total. And, I mean, I guess if you're not that familiar with the Universal Century, you know, maybe there's some other stuff you should try catching up on, which is a little longer. But, you know, I mean, this definitely can be taken standalone and and still be very enjoyable, I think. So I guess that wraps things up. That's our final thoughts on... Gundam Unicorn, Episode 7. This had just come out, so we all had just watched it, so we were really excited to talk about it. But until the next time, you can always contact us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions. Besides Mobile Suit Mondays, we have other side shows that we do, like Transformers Tuesdays. There's going to be quite a number of those. There are Sentai Saturdays and Toku Thursdays. So if you enjoy Mobile Suit Mondays and you like some other kind of Japanese programming or even Transformers-based programming, check out those sideshows. Of course, check out the podcast proper. Until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, it's Mike Banshee. See, Riddy's voice doesn't crack. <laughs> this is Justin. Beware Derek. He is a full frontal. I'll let it all hang out. You can't slice it off. No, sir. Peace! The Lala ghosts like the full frontal. Yeah, I know, dude. He's got, like, all kinds of ghosts. Poor Marita. Yeah, I know. Like I said, she was like my favorite character in that show. But oh well, she got that to she she cured I, she cured a case of butt hurt. She, her I, death I, <laughs> cured the case of butt. Cured hurt. a case of butt hurt. It made me cry, but but it cured fucking Reddy's butt hurt. <laughs> he, his toe his toe ceased to be stubbed. So I guess that's okay. It's like Benazir, you made me lose my job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna. I like that part where he's like, if you don't fucking come back to life, I'm gonna steal your girlfriend. <laughs> now, 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 Riddy can become the lethal protector. Yeah. <laughs> he's got his black Gundam. He's gonna, he's gonna move to uh, the San Francisco colony and help out the, help out the homeless of the San Francisco colony. Is that how that's gonna go? I guess so. Yeah. Nice, nice.